1: I know there are a lot of basketball nerds out there, and if you're listening to Locked On Magic every day, you're probably a little bit of a basketball nerd. Well, this is the episode for you, diving deeper into the playbook for the Orlando Magic, plus the philosophy of Jamal Mosley. It's time to get to it on today's episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast,
2: part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: And you are indeed locked on magic. Today is well, will be July 25th, 2023. My name is Philip Ross Mike. I'm the expert and site editor over at Orlando MagicDala.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore OMD. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, it's part two of our conversation with Fazan Amer of the Six Man Show. We dive even deeper into the Orlando Magic's playbook, talk a little bit about what the magic's kind of philosophy is and kind of thesis statement for what they're trying to do and, and where they can continue to get better. We'll get to that coming up on today's episode. But first, we want to thank you again for making Lockdown Magic part of your day every day, no matter when you listen to us, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's right when we upload, we truly appreciate you making Lockdown Magic part of your day every day. Remember, there's a great Lockdown podcast covering every single team in the NBA. Search for Lockdown and the team you're looking for, the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Before we get going with part two of our conversation with Fasan, uh, I wanted to just, A, let you know I am recording these intro, this intro and, and all my reads here on Sunday. So if anything breaks Monday, be sure to check out OrlandoMagicDaily.com for the latest on everything going on with the Magic. We will address more of that on Wednesday's episode, including the U.S. select team reportedly, at least reportedly, on Sunday. It could be official on Monday. Who knows? reportedly naming Jamal Mosley the head coach of the U.S. Select team. I'll talk about the impacts of that and why it says a lot about the Orlando Magic. We'll get to that on Wednesday's episode of Lockdown Magic. But for now, let's get part two of our conversation with Fazan Amer about the Orlando Magic and their playbook. So yeah, you know, obviously like so much of what this team's going to do then is about kind of leveling up and and, and leveling and leveling up, um, you know, obviously the playbook, leveling up their understanding of the playbook and what it takes to succeed. Um, So let's just kind of dive into it at this point then. What, what to you is the biggest key to success for next season to, for the team to reach the goal goals that they're trying to reach? What's, what's maybe a. A, a tactical thing that this team
2: can do to get to that next level. So, yeah, um, just re-watching Magic games after the season was concluded, I was just compiling data for myself, for my articles, and there was a re- re- reoccurring trend that I disliked about Mosley's offensive scheme that I wanted to highlight. I mean, he do- and it's pretty basic, actually. He doesn't come back to set plays that work. He'll run a play once, and whether it works or doesn't, he just flushes it down the toilet instead of making coaches adjust. Now, I remember uh, Chauncey Billups, the Portland Trailblazers head coach, against the Bulls um, this past season. I believe the Trailblazers ran a horns horns set about eight times in a row against Billy Donovan's defense, and the Blazers ended up losing that game. But Damian Lillard scored 10 straight points just off the same set again and again. And it's something I want Jamal Mosley to kind of go back to. And as this, and I'll give him credit for it, as the season progressed, the magic got better at going back to set plays. I remember in that San Antonio game, they opened, they opened the game with an Allen Iverson curl. And I kind of I broke this down on uh, on my on Twitter. If anyone wants to go ahead and check it out. But they start the game with the Allen Iverson curl. Uh kind of Paolo and Wendell Carr Jr. are kind of on the horns. Uh, placed on the either side of the charity stripe, which is a Horns formation. And Paolo Bancaro is throwing an overhead pass to Gary Harris. And it gets picked off by Jeremy Sohan. And the Spurs go down. They don't score. And the Magic come back down the floor. And they run the same play again. And it leads to a Wendell Carter Jr. triple. So we kind of saw more of it uh, at the end of the season but I just want to see more. I just want to see continuity within the offensive playbook um, as the season just kind of goes on because at the end of the day, these are young players. And as much as they're going to continue to do transition run and gun, when you do run set plays and they're generating good looks, come back to it. Maybe not immediately, but sometime in that game, I like Mosley to come back to it and it, and force the opposing head coaches to adjust to it. How how much how much of that then? Because because
1: I think there's a little bit you know like I, I know a lot of people criticize Jamal Mosley, especially like his rotation decisions and and how he kind of brings guys in and out of the lineup. But I think a lot of that is is this tension that the Magic had throughout the season, and it's going to be a tension I think we're going to feel a lot this year between coaching guys to develop them and. Coaching guys to win. Now, obviously, the goal is always to win. Winning is never bad. There's, there's no such thing as a bad win. Um, but what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to do might be a little bit different. If, say, you're trying to develop a player, you're trying to kind of look at the the broader scope of a of a player uh, and, and managing them, then you are maybe saying, "Hey, we need to win this playoff game." In a, in a playoff game, if there's a play that works you absolutely should keep going to it and to variations of it until the team proves that it can stop it. Like if there's a, if there's a formation or an alignment that they're struggling with and you know that like you run, you run it this way first, they can't stop it. Their adjustment is to to blitz that screen. Then you run the next kind of iteration of it. Maybe this team isn't so advanced that they have those iterations and they have those kind of like next, next reads down. But some of that, like, I'm just playing devil's advocate here a little bit. Some of that to me feels like it's the, that tension between a coach who's trying to develop and make sure everyone eats a little bit against a coach that maybe is saying like, Hey, we need to win this game. If Paolo needs to take 25 shots, cause we're just hammering the same play over and over again. And that's what gets the job done. That's what gets the job done. I mean, it's not like, like again, last year, not like the magic are hiding anything. They weren't, they probably, they were a long shot to make the playoffs. You know, you're, you're not hiding plays from maybe everybody knows what everybody's running at this point. It's just whether you know how to stop it or not.
2: And that's why continuity matters so much. Uh, and I'll use the Golden State Warriors as an example. I, I think everyone kind of knows what their offensive playbook kind of structures. You're going to get to split action with Steph Curry. You're going to get the elevator screens. You're going to get uh, the the get actions. And they're they have so many different variations of it with Draymond with Steph, with Dante DiVincenzo this past season, with Jordan Poole with Clay. And they've just that the big three of Draymond, Steph, and Clay have just been with each other and they've kind of digested that playbook. And there's so many different elements to what they run that despite People knowing exactly what play they're going to, they have so many different variations of it that you just kind of get thrown off by it. So I think having essentially keeping the same roster aside from the two uh, the two draft picks that you drafted and Joe Ingles a season vet, um, I think that enhances your playbook just in itself. Just bringing back the same team again just enhances it in itself because you're seeing the same thing again and again and when you see the same thing again and again what do you do you tend to get comfortable in it it's like being comfortable in your own skin and that's why the Warriors have just been good for so long is because they're comfortable in their own skin despite whether what, what other teams run to try to stop them they have so many different variations of it because they've seen multiple looks so when Paulo Banqueiro and Franz Wagner when Markel Fultz when they're getting the same looks that they did at the latter end of the season where they won um, five games in a row in March, when that comes to this time in the season in the clutch or not in the clutch when games are starting second quarter, third quarter, just kind of seeing the same variations just helps continuity so much. So just bringing back the same roster in itself is a big improvement that a lot of people don't want to outline.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I mean, look, the Magic had a ton of cap room to spend this offseason. I think there was a little bit of disappointment that the Magic ended up essentially bringing the whole roster back, but like that—that's part of the plan. Like, you want Paolo and Franz to have the ball in their hands. You want them to be comfortable. That's how they're going to grow. And that way, when you start adding new players to, to the puzzle, Paolo and Franz will know exactly what this team is trying to do and be able to, you know, be the leaders of the team and put guys in the right spots or like say, hey, when I do this. <coughs> you do that, you know, like this is, this is, this is what we're trying to accomplish. So w- with that in mind, you know, what would you say is, and, and maybe it's not determined yet because, you know, Paolo Bancaro this, this unmolded sheep of clay. And, you know, there's, there's still like this, idea. like, I think the magic's idea is about skill versatility more than positional versatility where, you know, guys have unusual skills for, for their size. But uh, so I, I think a lot of stuff's still unexplored, but, what would you say is Jamal Mosley's offensive philosophy if if you can if you can put a finger on, on something that just feels uniquely Orlando
2: magic and, and what they're trying to build here? So their offensive philosophy is pushing the pace in transition. And when they're set in transition in that half court, they like to run a lot of five out sets. And for those people who don't understand what five out is, it's a traditional spacing in the NBA that <laughs> funny enough, it's supposed to generate open it's to generate open three-point shooters but since the magic don't have that what jamal Mosley ended up doing is he utilized the, the five out spacing so teams wouldn't be able to clog the paint as much as they would be able to if they weren't in that concept.
1: Yeah and, and I mean I think I think a lot of the pace stuff is just just really clear. And 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 I don't think that's something the magic necessarily executed perfectly throughout the course of the season. Um, but you hear, you know, you hear every coach say we need to, we need to play faster. We need to, we need to play with, with pace, um, which is more about the speed at which they execute things rather than the possessions that they, that they garner throughout the game. Um, and so I think one thing that, that we will see from this magic team this year and one area where I would like them to grow is being able to transition, from offense to, de- from defense to offense a, a lot quicker. Let's take a quick break from our conversation so I can give you a couple words about our friends over at FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just 20 bucks. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200. You could spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. And now let's get back to our conversation with fazon as we dive even deeper into the Orlando Magic Playbook. obviously pace is such an important thing and and it's not necessarily about the pace at which it's not possessions for 48 minutes because every coach says they want to play with pace they want to play at pace and and a lot of that's just about the speed that they they execute execute with and i think one area where the magic really struggled this year is with playing with that pace and 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 getting out and transition more effectively and, and obviously that's about transitioning from defense to offense and so, you know, Jamal Mosley came into into this uh, into this franchise, into this club as a defensive coach. Um, you know, he he was the defensive coordinator with the Mavericks. You know, from December seventh to the end of the season, the Magic had the sixth best defensive rating in, in the league, and that was a big piece of why they were they were so good and they were able to be a five hundred team. Um, even though there are some holes, I think defensively that we don't like to talk about, like the number of three point attempts the Magic gave up, uh, the second chance points the Magic gave up. There's still some things to clean up defensively, but overall what would you say is Jamal, Mo- you know, we've had him for 2 years now. Maybe one of those years doesn't count doesn't count because it was a, a pure tanking season. Um but what would you say is Jamal Mosley's defensive philosophy,
2: philosophy or what what is his defensive mission statement for this team? So before I dive into the defensive mission statement, one thing I want to address is when you're hiring a new coach, for me personally, whether he stems from the offensive side or the defensive side of the basketball, um, I want to see that head coach excel the team that he's essentially being the head coach of in that aspect. And Jamal Mosley, I mean – since you said we're not gonna include last season since it was a tanking season. This season, we really saw really nice nice glimpses of his uh, defensive scheme throughout the season. I mean, in his rookie season as head coach, the team went from a drop centric scheme uh, throughout the season and then shifted into a high flying, hyperactive switching group of maniacs. I mean, a lot of fans were really upset at Mosley Throughout the course of last season, when they were kind of going through those slumps of that zone defense. And then you kind of see as, and this comes back to my continuity point: the more you play with each other, the more you get comfortable. And zone has a lot to do with continuity and getting to play with each other and understanding where every single defender is on the court without looking, essentially. And it's no secret that Mosley is an artist at adapting his scheme to the roster's strength and weaknesses. Um, and I thought he did a good job of not getting rid of the zone completely just because it wasn't working, you know, and that's where I kind of go back to my offensive playbook is if a play is working, I want you to keep going back to it, and I think it, the zone defense hit its hit its ceiling against the Rockets where they just completely broke the Rockets, and they cut the I'm not sure how much the Rockets were leading by, but they were leading by a good amount coming into the second half. That, house, was, that, that is- was
1: an underrated win. That 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 win at yeah. Houston. Uh and like look, Houston made a ton of threes uncharacteristically in the home in the home loss or like a few weeks earlier or like a month earlier. But they went to Houston, they went to that zone defense. They got super active. The Rockets couldn't figure it out. They couldn't shoot, shoot, they couldn't shoot them out of it. Uh, and that was that was a brilliant idea. That was a brilliant move by Mosley to kind of create some energy. And you know, like Defense is like really tough in the NBA right now. Like it's like offense, like we are seeing like beyond just the three point shooting and the three point shooting is part of it, but we're seeing the most efficient offenses in NBA history right now. Like the magic in 2009 had one of the best offenses in the league. They'd be bottom 10 in the league in offensive efficiency. That's points per, per 100 possessions today. That's how efficient these offenses are. And so much uh, what what I really admire about Mosley um, is so much of defense right now, and, and they're like Spolster does this, all the good defensive teams do this, uh, except Milwaukee, um, which is why Milwaukee keeps losing the playoffs probably. probably. <laughs> um, you have to be able to switch your defense and just throw – like it's like a pitcher. You're like pitchers now. Defenses are like pitchers in baseball now. You have your fastball. You have your base set. You have your base scheme. But then you got to be able to throw a cutter that's just a little bit different. Then you have your curveball that, you know – is just a little is just a, a complete a different look or a different scheme that teams need to adjust to. Then you have your changeup, which might be that zone that you that you go to to really throw teams off. Then you have a slider and it's just knowing when to throw out these different schemes, when to switch schemes, when you need to kind of like keep guys off balance. And you see this I think especially in the playoffs. Um but like every coach says this when they're playing against good good players, you're not going to stop them. So what you got to do is you just got to confuse them long enough. And throw enough schemes at them to kind of throw them off. And, and you know, I think throughout the season, um, you can definitely check out Fazan's uh, Fazan's sorry um, uh, 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 Twitter Twitter handle. Go through go through some of his video clips. Jamal Mosey's throwing a lot of different defensive schemes at people, and, and it's not like it's just he's throwing stuff against the wall. It's it's stuff they practice. It's stuff that they know how to do. There's still this base idea of what they're trying to do, but like they have the guys that they can switch you know, switch everything, switch one through five. Like if Jonathan Isaacs on the floor playing center, which we may see this year, they'll switch one through five and say like, good luck trying to get through all the arms that we have. You know, they may say, hey, we're going to do a blitz. You know, Wendell Carter, get up to the level of the screen, blitz that ball handler, like really throw them off that way. Or, you know, if Bo in, drop, force them to force them to take that charge on you. Like hold your line. They, they're able to mix up what they're doing really well. And, You know, they have the personnel and I think, honestly, the understanding to to do this stuff well, too. And I I think that shows, you know, we're coming from Steve Clifford, you know, who was very set, like, like Steve Clifford's a very good coach for young, young teams, because you have these set responsibilities, you do them until you die and, and, and you're pretty good at them. Like you're like, you're good at them. But when you get into the play, like, I think Steve Clifford's ultimate weakness in the playoffs is. You need that malleability. You need to be able to shift and change and say like, hey, and like this is my criticism of Bud in Milwaukee and probably why Mike Budenholzer is no longer the coach in Milwaukee is you need to be able to say this scheme will not work against this team. We've got to be willing to change if we're going to win this best of seven series. And so much of, I think, what Jamal Mosley's doing is preparing the team for the playoffs in a lot of ways. Like he's even said, like I show them clips, I talk about the playoffs, we're try, we're, we know what the ultimate goal is, so we got to get this team ready for it.
2: So there's so many different components to Jamal Mosley's defensive scheme like you alluded to. and the biggest thing is you got to get the zone right. And once you get the zone right, you get to do other fun things. like against the Portland Trailblazers, Jamal Mosley utilizes switch to blitz. it's an, ag- it's an aggressive coverage throughout the NBA and it's profoundly used for ultimate premier threats guys like Damian Lillard, when you're playing when you're playing a guy like Damian Lillard, who can score on all three levels, and is a player who can single-handedly take a game over. And it's a high risk, high reward, containing switching and blitzing the ball handler. And uh, luckily, uh, Orlando was able to do it consistently due to employing mobile bigs who can disrupt the ball handler. Oftentimes, the blitzer was Maurice Wagner, who was coming off of a bad center in Drew Eubanks and Yusuf Nurkic, and just coming over and helping blitz Damian Lillard and forcing the other Portland Trailblazers like Matisse Thybulle, Josh Hart, Cam Reddish to make perimeter shots, and they found a lot of success in it. I mean, Damian Lillard still ended up racking up 37 points, but still so missed a couple threes at the end of that game. That 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 kept he, us all very yeah. nervous. <laughs> Yep, yeah, and and a lot of and a lot of why he missed those threes uh at the latter end of that game is because of the switching to blitz defensive technique it's just because you're tiring Damian Lillard out because you're throwing so multiple bodies at him at once throughout of a, six, a 48 minute game stretch or however x many minutes he ended up playing that game that when the fourth quarter comes around he missed a lot of those threes that he'd routinely make if the magic hadn't gone to that coverage earlier in the game,
1: yeah, uh, and 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 obviously, like it's a long game too. Like it's it's like I think people sometimes forget that because you know a lot of us have two K brains sometimes where fatigue doesn't fatigue doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But like like NBA games are hard. Like playing like playing five minutes of an actual NBA game is like one of the hardest things you will physically do. That the running, the physics, the, the the bumping, that all of it. Like all these guys are trying to wear you out by the end of the game. And the guy like the reason why the great players are great players is they can withstand all of it. Like, you know, we talk about it like having deep playoff series tires you out later on in the playoffs. And, And ultimately, like that's where the magic are trying to get to, obviously. And that's what they're planning and preparing for. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. And the Magic obviously do a lot of really interesting things defensively um, that that help set them apart. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, so, uh, I just want to talk very briefly about it um, was you know what Cole Anthony did a lot of last year, where he picked picked guys up full court, and it wasn't necessarily, Like to this point, picking up a guy full court wasn't necessarily about pressuring him or 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 like getting him to turn the ball over in the backcourt. It was more about like let's slow them down a little bit, make him turn once or twice, you know, before he gets over mid court. And then instead of starting your offense at 20 seconds. And and I think the magic were, you know, like the the seven seconds or less Suns we're, were, you know, like we're literally just like, let's get into our offense as quickly as possible. The quicker we get into our offense, the more shots we get up. Um, I think the Magic for a while were like an 18 second or like uh, something like a, a 20 second team or, or or 18 second team where they wanted to be in their offense by 18 seconds. And like, I know when I watched a lot of games last year and over the last two years, actually, I get actively frustrated when they weren't running their offense by about when they were, when they were at 15, 14 seconds and they hadn't really started their offense yet. And that's really like Cole Anthony, like Cole Anthony's not a good defender. But he's a willing defender. He's willing to do things defensively. It's not. It's not. He's bad because of his height and because of his lateral quickness or whatever. He's not. He's not bad because he doesn't try. He tries, Um, and and so by having him do this kind of token pressure, that makes him valuable defensively because he will be. he, He will be enough of a hindrance that teams aren't getting into their offense that offense quickly. And again, so much of I think this league is the battle of pace teams can get up shots so quickly that the way to kind of, you're just really just trying to slow teams down. You're not trying to stop them because you're not going to with how skilled all these guys are. You're just trying to slow them down. So, you know, we talked offensively wanting to pick up the pace, wanting to get, get into, get in transition, wanting to get into their offense quicker. Defensively, you're trying to junk it up and slow them down just a little bit, you know, whether it's by the token pressure by blitzing. And I think that's something that, I think that's something that you see Jamal Mosley's fingerprints all over uh, as as the team is, is trying to get into its defense.
2: Yeah, and having a guy like Anthony Black alongside Cole Anthony in the backcourt off the bench, I mean, that's just going to provide so much more flexibility for them uh, defensively um, when Markel Fultz and Gary Harris and Jalen Suggs are on the bench after they've endured uh, a six, seven minutes in the first quarter, it just adds so much more flexibility that you're able to do now defensively instead of just being a premier man-to-man defensive team because you don't have guys like Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs on the floor anymore. Assuming Jalen Suggs does start this season, which I am assuming. I'm not sure where you are in that party. Um, but I-, uh, I, I think it's going to be a competition. Um,
1: I, I want to see if Jalen Suggs is shooting the way he shot to end the season... I don't think Gary Harris will be in the starting lineup for very long. Um, Because, like, you look at the numbers, the Magic starting lineup with Jalen Suggs had, like, an insane, like, 103, 104 defensive rating, something like that. Their offensive rating wasn't very good, but it was similar to what they have with Gary Harris. So if Suggs is shooting the way that he shot to end the season, I don't think Gary Harris will be in the starting lineup long. I do anticipate Harris will start the... Like, right now, I have Gary Harris penciled in as the starter. But I want to see where Jalen Suggs is at in camp before, in camp preseason whenever um, before I make a final decision about the shooting guard spot. Obviously, the other four spots are kind of full.
2: Yeah, and going back to my point of having Anthony Black and Cole Anthony come off the bench and provide uh, different defensive concepts, I mean, Jamal Mosley didn't call for this much this season, but they ran the box and won uh, kind of at the end of the season against Donovan Mitchell. And it's a defensive technique Orlando implemented to deny ball movement to star players on the opposing team. And it kind of goes back to your point of um, emphasizing um, picking up uh, full court and with four players forming a box at the top of the key with the perimeter player at each elbow of the free throw line alongside a specific defender playing a man-to-man defense against the star player. In this case, it was Donovan Mitchell when you remove Cole Anthony and you add Anthony Black as the primary defender, it just gives you so much so much more added defensive pressure for guys like Donovan Mitchell, for guys like Stephen Curry, smaller guards in comparison to Anthony Black, who will have who will be playing a better, bigger defender.
1: Yeah, and and you know, you know, and I think I think this is the best place to kind of end our conversation about the playbook and, and and kind of the overall philosophies of the magic. Um, I've been teasing up this idea. Uh, I know I mentioned it on my show before, but like the overarching philosophy, it seems of the magic's roster building. It, 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 I love people love talking about positional versatility and positional versatility is great. The ability to guard multiple positions is really, really important. Um, And that's valuable throughout the league. But, but I think what's ultimately going to make the magic unique and special is this idea I, I call skill versatility. Where you have, you know, a Wendell Carter who is a better passer than people give him credit for. That you can run an yeah. offense around a center, you know, a center who can pass the ball effectively. Like Nikola Vucevic yeah. had it. You know, obviously, like Nikola Jokic is like the ideal like version of the, of that kind of center. But Wendell Carter is a better passer, playmaker, decision maker than I think people give him credit for. Um, Paolo Banchero and Franz Wagner are six foot ten playmakers. They are capable passers. They see over def- over defenses. They're faster than, than the fours that typically guard them. These are the these guys do things that typically players of their size don't do. Um, Cole Anthony and Anthony Black, I know I joked about this during Summer League, but I think this is actually a pretty valuable thing. They're really good rebounders for guards. They're not afraid oh, yeah. to get in the paint and, and rebound. And while I don't think it would be healthy if Anthony Black is like the second leading rebounder on the team, I think Paolo needs to be a better rebounder, and Franz especially needs to be a better rebounder. But having guards who can get the ball, especially as there's a lot more longer rebounds now because there's so so many three point sh- shots, Um, being able to get the ball and take it yourself and go just immediately instead of like a center grabbing the ball and kicking it out to a guard. It's a guard grabbing the ball, maybe at the free throw line extended and being able to go or having uh, having the other guard, that, that next guard already out past half court that you can kick to with a skilled passer. That stuff is really, really valuable. Uh, so having these not only positionally versatile players, but skill versatile players who do things that players of their size don't typically do. I think that's kind of been the guiding team building philosophy. And what's really exciting. I think about this is now we get to see a coach who's, you know, shown some flexibility and shown you know, maybe needs to be hard (coughs) harder and faster on, on, on some things that he hasn't been to this point, but now we have a coach who has a little bit of imagination and flexibility Use all of these tools in the toolbox, and and I think that's what makes the what the magic are building and what the magic are doing really interesting and exciting.
2: Yeah, and it goes back to your point earlier where we both mentioned uh, the draft picks of Jet Howard and Anthony Black. Um, I, a big reason why Anthony Black, why what I'm assuming Jamal Mosey was so drawn to Anthony Black is because of what you alluded to, having guards that can just push the pace grab those rebounds instead of it being a big and just kind of get into your transition run and gun or an offensive set play or whatever it may be. And also being on top of everything that he does, that he lacks offensively. He can push the pace, he can pass, he can rebound and he does what Jamal Mosley likes best. He can defend all four positions. Um, I, I don't know if he can defend centers. We rarely saw him mash up against centers in summer league or Arkansas, but he can defend all four positions so that having that versatility on defense on offense and then we saw flashes of it with jet howard his defensive uh his defensive astronauts obviously it's not the same as anthony black's by any stretch of the imagination but just having it and portraying it to a level of an an extent to the point where you're in the playoffs and teams aren't um running plays where you're involved in those actions, where you're the primary defender, where it may have been if you had drafted Grady Dick, which is why I think they kind of went with Jett Howard over Grady Dick, which I know upset a lot of the fan base, but at the end of the day, I thought they made a good pick. Yeah, uh, I I think I think at the end of the day, they ultimately made
1: the made a good pick too, and and you know they opened themselves up to do uh, some very interesting things at, at the end of the day. Uh, and I think at this stage of a rebuild, that's, that's what you want. You know, we can all see, um, what this future is and, 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 and how bright it can be and what this team is potentially capable of. And there is a, there's a lot they can do. Like it is, they are not locked into being one thing. And I think that's ultimately the most important thing, uh, as they grow, they will have the space, uh, space and, and hopefully the flexibility to, to figure out who they are and, and what their best version of themselves uh, is, um, Fosn, um I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and getting your getting uh, your podcast debut out of the way with us. Um, uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, if anyone wants to read your work or, or see some of your video breakdowns, where where is the best best place
2: to go for that? So yeah, you can find my tweets at uh, fawzanamer underscore, and you can find all my work at the Six Man Show. And uh, shout out to my editor Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne
1: yeah we we love we love our our good friends at the Six man show. We obviously I've been on their show plenty of times. I've had Jonathan on, on on this show as well. Um, we always appreciate them and appreciate everything they do to help the magic fan community. um Fasan, they they thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the show.,
2: uh-huh, I appreciate you having me on.
1: I want to thank Fazon for joining the show, giving us a, two great episodes here on Locked On Magic, giving us a, a real good look at what the Magic strategy and tactics are and, and what they need to be and where they need to grow because it's not just on the court that they need to need to level up. It is on the bench. You can, of course, uh, find Fasan on online at FasanAmare underscore on Twitter. Um, that post a lot of great playbooks, kind of breaking down some plays and, and some things that the Magic are trying to do. Check his work out. He does a really, really good job. I was really happy to have him on the show. Um, help him make his podcast debut uh, and, and talk a little bit about the Magic Playbook. We'll nerd out a little bit on what the Magic are trying to do. There's obviously so much more we could get into. We could talk for days uh, on, on the Magic and on basketball. But we're going to get back to our normal schedule on Wednesday for my everyday crew. We will chat about Jamal Mosley na- reportedly being named the head coach, at least reportedly on Sunday, being named the head coach of the U.S. select team. Plus, plenty, plenty more. There's a lot to get to still, even in this dead part of the offseason. I'm already thinking about the playoffs, so we'll dive into a couple other things, including some stuff about Jalen Suggs, as well as who the Magic are competing with a little bit uh, and, and much, much more. And why the Magic, I think, actually have an advantage in that playoff chase. We'll get to all that coming up later this week. But I want to thank you all again for making Locked On Magic part of your day, every day. Um, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at D. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, your the in the Himalay, Google, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey. All of all send on the ways all the podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. And for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out OrlandoMagicDaily.com. You can follow us there on Twitter at oMagicDaily. Oh but that's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, it's been Philip Rossman-Reich. We'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic.